Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Here in Silicon Valley, we live in the land of disruption, as they say. Everyone likes to talk about how they're disrupting this or that industry. And uh, frankly, many of us think that this is actually a good thing in, in general. Newer, more nimble and innovative startups should be disrupting old and stodgy industries. Of course, there's some debate over <laughs> what it even means to be disruptive. The term as applied to startups and technology dates back to Clayton Christensen's work on the innovator's dilemma or disruptive innovation, where he set forth a series of criteria that was shown time and time again, where upstarts were able to take over a market that many assumed uh, would be dominated by legacy players. The standard characteristics around this, uh, his version of uh, disruptive innovation tended to be that the new disruptive entrant uh, offered a product that on its face seemed less good than what the incumbent was providing, but the rate of improvement and innovation on that product was such that it would rapidly reach a point that was either good enough, or in some cases actually better, for legacy and new customers, thus disrupting the legacy market from below. Of course, as the term disrupt or disruptive became popular in Silicon Valley, many started to substitute in their own definition, which might be closer to, we're going to do our own thing and piss everyone off. And sometimes that means ignoring regulations. And sometimes that kind of disruption seems to be for pretty good reasons, where old regulations are outdated, obsolete, or built on a for a, a very different kind of world. I, I tend to put companies like Airbnb and Uber into those kinds of camps. They're providing really useful services that simply don't fit into the regulatory framework that was built for a different era. But some other companies just seem to be breaking the rules because they can. Uh, Zenefits perhaps falls into that category, or rather, I think it, it maybe straddles both definitions. The company did some things that were actually really, really innovative in the way that it shook up the HR software and insurance markets. But along the way, it seemed to get so cocky with pushing the boundaries that it set out to proactively ignore the licensing rules for its employees to become insurance brokers and wrote an internal script that would help them pass an online test. When this eventually came out, it resulted in the company's founder and CEO getting ousted. And then you have companies like Theranos or Ubeam that have both been accused of simply making stuff up in terms of what their product does in order to get good PR. Theranos famously claimed to have an almost magical blood testing tool, which recent investigations have re revealed were uh, greatly exaggerated. And Ubeam promised wireless charging, but its former VP of engineering insists that the product never actually worked at all. Uh, so for today's podcast with uh, our regular co-host Dennis Yang and also special guest co-host Michael Costanza, I wanted to discuss if Silicon Valley has gotten so cocky about disruption that it's now leading to just outright scams and lies, and if there's a better way to keep disruption from from appearing to be so scammy. Uh, so let's start with, with 
either one of you guys, I guess, do you think that in the rush to disrupt, it, it makes people think that they can just ignore all the rules? I mean, I don't necessarily think like people willingly are kind of breaking rules, right? They're, they're really just finding a, a different way to do things, right? And in a lot of cases, they're kind of like, hey, like, why haven't, why haven't we thought of this, right? Yeah, um, and, but I think, you know, and I think that is, that's the sort of classic case of disruption, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's good. My concern is more about how people have sort of taken that language of disruption and turned it into not just like we're thinking of a different way of doing things to the point where it's like, well, we can just ignore all the regulations and just, you know, make stuff up in some cases. Not as, I mean, okay, I, I think there's, you're, I, I don't know of, of people kind of, you know, I mean, I, I work, I work with and I meet with, meet, you know, a lot of people kind of doing startups and startups are hard, right? And you're trying to find a problem, um, first of all, that, you know, that people definitely have. And then you're trying to find a solution to that problem that people actually, actually sure. find, you know, find useful. And that's a really, really hard problem in and of itself. And I don't know, don't necessarily like I haven't really come across anyone that's kind of said, "Hey, let me look at these rules and let me like like these these but, rules okay. are dumb." It's it's, it's not. Right? It, I think it's it's a different issue, which is yeah. that you know I think part of it is just like in the rush to be successful. I think the thing that I'm seeing is that you know there is this somewhat understandable, almost you know fake it till you make it. Um, you know, ethos that companies want to appear to be. Well, that's though. That's two different. That's a very. That's a different uh, angle on it, right? Which is like saying that you're doing something when you're not actually doing something is not disruption at all, right? Right, but some people think it is. Um, like just you know, like in the case of what Theranos and and Ubeam saying that you have a magical thing. Well, you know what? Now that I'm saying that loud, <laughs> it, it is kind of what the lean startup thing, like one right. of the, kind See? of the lean startup methodology, and you know, which is basically forget about making the product. See if there's demand for the product first. Right. And so build build a page that looks like it does something, right, but right. there's a mechanical Turk behind it. Um, right. So so if you so so the idea here, I guess, taken to the extreme, would be like, you know, I have I have designed. A magical device that charges charges your cell phones from twenty feet away without any wires. Like, right? Do you want to sign up for a pre-order for this thing? And, if, and you're like, lo and behold, I have millions of dollars of pre-orders of people that want this vaporware product. Voila, disruption. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or you can buy the thinnest watch ever. And never get. <laughs> is it is, is this a personal experience? Perhaps yeah, that, that, that I uh, may be aware of. Did you yes. never get that? Never got it, and so, they, so, so, they're selling off assets. Okay, so so tell the story, right? So nobody knows the story except me and you. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so what was it? Probably three years ago, uh, I guess the first Kickstarter that I ever backed was the CST1, or O1, uh -huh. uh, which was the to be the world's thinnest watch. It was an e-paper display, and it was really thin bracelet watch, and they were promising delivery within, I think it was like six months from when I, when I backed it. And a year and a half later, there was not much going on. There was some communication about some of the issues they had in production. And they kept um, posting updates about that. And then eventually, um, the updates just stopped. <laughs> and, and a lot of the people who backed it, it, it raised a lot of money. I can't remember how much. 
but they they you know blew their goal away. Um, but a lot of people who backed it kept commenting on the site, "Hey, when are we going to get an update?" And eventually, um, the updates came that you know uh, this supplier can't do what we want, so we're searching for alternatives. And that yeah, was the, quiet. The, again the laws of physics prevent our delivery of this product. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically nobody had the nobody can do the tooling that that require you know was required for this. So after about two and a half years, I think it was, they finally said, "Yeah, we don't we don't have any money and we can't do it." So and they they didn't give back any money or anything. No, a lot of people asked for money back, but you know. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I, think, I, I mean, all right. so that's you know, I. I I think that's that is actually a little bit different. Yeah, that's a little bit different, right? Because, I mean, crowdfunding, you know, does involve some level of risk. Right, and I would say even if that were like say a venture backed company, I would be okay with that, right? Because they they pitched an idea, right? And that and maybe on on, on Kickstarter it wasn't maybe, maybe some of the you know the arguments against Kickstarter projects are that a lot of consumers are don't realize that the product that they're funding is not yet even created, right? Yeah. Um, and that kind of miss and expectation is something that I think Kickstarter has, starting, has, has started to address, like the, like the laser razor. Um, I think that's yeah, and, and their platform. I mean, no, right. they've, they've, they've done that for a while, and they've tried to do yeah. things, and, and they've added a lot of you know, warnings. And, of course, you know, they very famously keep going back and, and repeating this sort of mantra that Kickstarter is not a store, and they're sort of... Yeah trying to make people realize that. And I think, sure. and I think, but I think that's, that's interesting, but I think that's, that's, that is a different issue. And I think, yeah. I think we could have, and we probably should, and we may have very soon, like uh, a podcast about kind of the crowdfunding space and, and right. some of the issues but, there. But in that case, I mean, they, they did make, they made some claims. And of course you have to list your risks on the, on the, yeah. you know, your yeah. Kickstarter page. And it wasn't very clear that they didn't think, you know, that it was not going to be possible to do what they wanted <laughs> right. to do. Physically um, impossible. Yeah. But I, but so. I think I th I think the issue, you know, that I think is is more interesting to me, which is a little bit different than this, mm -hmm. is just the. And I guess there is some overlap here, but just this idea that you know, are we encouraging this kind of behavior when we talk about disruption? I guess. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the, I mean, I, I kind of call it the, the startup or the founder's reality distortion field. <laughs> um, and I, I honestly struggle with this myself, you know, like where I, like I meet founders out there and they, they say that they, their companies do something and I'm like, really, like, <laughs> you're saying that. And I can see it in their, in their eyes that they genuinely believe it. Right. Right. Um, and that's because it's not reality, but at the same time, you know, especially when you're kind of pitching your company to customers and funders, like you're not pitching, you're not pitching what you have. You're kind of right. pitching what can be. Right, the dream. Um, you're pitching the dream. And and by by nature of doing so, like you really like some reality distortion is necessary. Sure. And I don't necessarily like think that it's, you know, like, and that that's kind of. I don't think it's bad per se, but it's, I definitely see it. And I, this is a struggle that I constantly am kind of walking the line of understanding where, you know, in this distortion field that I want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when you're, you are, you're pitching a dream. Yeah. And it's, you have no idea, like, honestly, if this dream is going to be a reality or not. So, so, so that raises the issue of, you know, at the beginning, you're certainly pitching a dream at some point, you know, 
you got to wake up, right? And so, it, you know, where yeah, is so it? And, and usually you wake up either, you know, you wake up and you realize that your dream is wrong. Right. Um, and then the company fails or somewhere along the line, the dream is right. And you're like, whoa, like this was, this was a right dream. And you, or maybe you were able to make steps to kind of walk towards that dream and make it a reality, right? And I think that's, that's the excitement of a startup, right? Where, when that transition happens and how to get to that, that point in which reality matches what you've actually been pitching for all these years. But Mike, um, you know, your question about, you know, are we encouraging this behavior? I, I think yes, um, definitely, because the ideas that sound the biggest and, you know, most uh, wild are the ones that get more attention, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, if you're promising the moon, but you can't deliver it, well, at least you're promising the moon. So you're going to get people to, <laughs> to, to try to help you out, right? Right. Um, so, you know, if you are knowingly promising something that you know that you absolutely will never be able to deliver, well, that's, that's an issue. That's kind of fraud, right? <laughs> right. So, so, but where, where is, I, I'm wondering though, is, you know, how fuzzy is that line between pitching the dream and just being a con man? Right, I think being a what like just a con man, right? I mean, just, you know, selling, selling. It's a fine uh, line. Snake Mike. oil. <laughs> well, how how fine a line? I mean, I, and I mean, this is a real concern, like for for a variety of reasons, right? And and part of it is that, like, you know, from my perspective, like I I worry about, like I, I as I said, like I think there's there's good disruption. And I think like the idea of disruption is actually really important because it's yeah. it's how innovation happens and it's how you know, economic growth and good things come into the world through, through mm -hmm. disruptive innovation. But, but I worry at the same time that if, you know, if it's leading to a lot of scammy behavior, that that actually leads to, you know, results that harm the ability to create that kind of disruption, right? So, I, so I'm I'm concerned about this. Isn't just like a, a theoretical like, well, you know, hey, is that interesting? Like, hey, we have some con men who slip into the startup ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to say. You know, like, um, frankly, I thought I thought that we were going to take this discussion in a different direction. Okay. Um, in that, like, this this concept of you know pitching dreams. Pitching versus pitching lies, right? Uh -huh. Versus one of, hey, here are some kind of rules or laws, like like you were saying in, in the intro about like, you know, Uber and Airbnb, for example. Um, like, is it okay to kind of disregard the existing rules yeah. and create a product that is real that breaks laws, right? Yeah, yeah. it seems the the other problem that we were just talking about has probably always been around, right? But but what you're talking about or what Dennis you're talking about is, you know, breaking existing rules not to do something that you don't think you can actually accomplish, but that's because you have to, to get it done, right? Yeah, I mean, those are two. Those are two very, very different, different issues. I think, right? Um, pitching a dream that is not yet reality is not has nothing to do with the existing rules that are in place, right? Which a lot of so-called disruption is dependent on, and as in the case of you know Airbnb and Uber, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, building building that paper thin watch, there's no rules against that. There's no there's right. no kind of right. 
societal or, or governmental regulations that well, say watches I need mean, to be a certain thickness. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, and, and I'm sure this is true if you look at the comments on that Kickstarter, I'm sure some people are insisting that it's a scam and fraud and, uh, you know, because I've oh, seen yeah. that on, on lots of Kickstarters. Sure. And, yeah. and, you know, and like the FTC has actually come down on at least one Kickstarter project that didn't deliver at all. And, you know, there may have been... Right. You know, but to, but to, call that, to call that Kickstarter project a scam, mm -hmm. you know, would mean that any startup that did not deliver on its promise of its, of its glorious well, pitch deck was a scam. Well, right. well, so that's that's the question, though. So I, again, there's there's a fine line distinction here, and, and where does it where does it cross over, and and is there? So I guess you know, I, and I know you you're taking it in a little bit of a different direction, which I think is actually a, a valid discussion point as well. But like, is there a way to, you know, is there a way to encourage the right kind of rule breaking, <laughs> as opposed to the wrong kind of rule breaking? Right. I mean, I think the so. Here's here's the distinction I like to kind of, you know, I've I've been involved in numerous pitches lately, um, yeah. and the feedback I'm getting from investors right now is like they get it, right? They mm -hmm. understand what people are doing, um, they understand that pitches are largely dream, right? But yeah. they they dig, and and the good investors will dig into it really hard and try to figure out, okay, you know, you have you sent me this, we went over this pitch deck, what part of this is real, right? Yeah. And even though most of this might be fabricated in, in, in dreamland, what are, what are some concrete signals in re, grounded in reality that kind of indicate to me that your dream is somewhat realistic and, and attainable, right? And I think that, that th seems to be the, the overwhelming theme right now in terms of fundraising, which is, yes, have a dream that's big enough and amazing enough that I'm excited about it, but back it up with some sort of glimmer of hope that you're on the right track and your dream isn't just complete like fiction. And that's 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 where I think, you know, where you're saying the line, you know, the line of the dream really comes down to play is it can't be a complete fabrication, right? Like right. you have to have a prototype that is actually sitting like in the case of a Kickstarter, you know, do the Kickstarter, promise the paper thin watch, but maybe have a prototype that you made um, that actually shows it in existence, right? Um, have a company yeah, that promises a certain piece of software is going to do something for a customer and have it, have it do it in a very small scale for a customer. I think that's, that's kind of the balance that people are trying. All right, so, right. so let, me, but let, me, let me take it a step back because, yeah. you know, and I think I've sort of given extremes and most of the examples we've talked about extremes, which were like companies that were just sort of out and out, unable yeah. to deliver at all. But like, let's go to the Zenefits example, yeah. right? Because that's a different one, right? That, that company was delivering, they had a product and, and still have a product. And was they still have a product. They still have a company. Quite, quite yeah. successful. And, and they were disruptive in terms of how they sold software and, and are not really sold software, but gave software away. And right. really how they sold insurance. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, thought they were a great example of disruptive innovation. And yet they ran into this problem where they took it to a different level right yeah. where they weren't just disrupting the way that they were selling insurance but they were you know disrupting the regulations about how insurance is yeah. sold and, and i think and that i don't know i think it's interesting i find the benefits thing fascinating because on one hand um when i heard about what they were doing in terms of you know make like writing that software to get their people to pass 
yeah. the licensing regulations more quickly. On one hand, I could see as innovative, right? Right. On the right. other hand, um, what Sketchy I didn't like about it was that it ended up in, in people selling insurance to their customers and, and doing the exact thing that, you know, that gave, re gave rise to licensing, right? Like they were scamming or, or right. tricking their customers into buying things that they didn't need or something. Like maybe they were doing that. And I think and so, that yeah. my, like my point here is this, is that there are rules that exist out there, um, some of which may be kind of too much of a burden for the market, and I like when companies push against them because and, and challenge and ask us like, hey, why do we need licensing? Right? Like right. Th these licensing regulations have been around for in, for a time that we had a lot of people kind of tricking people into buying things, you know. And I'm going to make an, the argument as an entrepreneur that these licensing regulations are draconian. So I'm going to kind of short circuit this process so that I can sell more quickly. And this is key here because the licensing is no longer necessary, right? Right. However, what Zenefits showed us is that we still need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think there's, there is a way to distinguish like a yeah. difference here, which is like, is, is the um, disruption or is the breaking of the rules uh, in some sense or the breaking of the way things are done, done for the benefit of the consumer and the yes. wider market? Yep. Or is it done solely for the benefit of the company. Now, that's right. also a blurry line. It's a blurry line, yeah. Or, or you know, is, it, or is following the rule to the benefit of overall society or is it kind of only a right. smaller and, number and of And I think, I think right. it's much tougher for people to argue that Zenefit's writing a little piece of software that lets all of their salespeople, you know, not really take the course that is necessary to be certified to sell insurance. Yeah. People don't, see how that benefits society at well all. benefits society if they make the cost of buying insurance you know yeah, more affordable really right and it also speeds up the whole process uh, and mm. if their software or you know their whole process made licensed insurance agents like really licensed insurance agents not necessary but they needed to have licenses in order to be selling the insurance um just on paper right mm -hmm. then kind of sneaking your way around it is beneficial but i mean it's still cheating but you know uh, i don't know but i don't know that that's the case i mean did the people who got the licenses fraudulently really do the selling of the insurance and sort of really have been licensed is that how it worked yeah yeah, yeah they, they were definitely selling i mean yeah. they were see i mean that that's the part to me i think that is like they weren't doing anything different the, you know, the people who were selling the stuff weren't really doing anything different than a, you know, a, a regularly licensed insurance worker. Like, right. I think so then it's that's, just that's the distinction for me between like an Uber and like a taxi company and, right. and where I'm more comfortable with like an Uber not having to follow sort of traditional taxi regulations. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I would say I'm not 100% comfortable with that because um, like, I have a hard time distinguishing how the two are really that drastically different. Between what Uber and Zenefit? Like, like I feel I'm I I think I'm like I'm supportive of Uber, and I think that I think you know what Uber has done is really powerful and useful. Um, but but how do you distinguish like what Uber's done from what Zenefit's did? You, you don't, and yeah. that's okay because what what it's interesting about it is that you know breaking rules forces us to kind of look at the rules more closely. Um, and that's good for all of us, right? Like, 
having a rule around and people follow it just, you know, quote, because it's the rule is mm-hmm. the absolute worst way to build a society that doesn't question, you know, any of the laws that we have around us. Um, and the fact that Zenefits pushed on a rule, we looked at it, we're like, nope, still need that rule, that's okay. And Uber pushed on a rule against the taxi cab regulations, and, and they pushed, and we all look at society, and we're like, you know what, that one is not okay. Um, unless you live in Austin. Unless you live in Austin, <laughs> which, which, you know, I'm sure the Austinites, at least the Austinites I know, are super sad that they don't have Uber anymore. So, yeah, yeah. Well, even though I guess they, had, they did have an election, and they chose that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's good, right? Like, we should have a society, I mean, I think we should have a society in which we question things. I mean, laws should have an expiration date. Um, I don't know if we've ever discussed that one. I think we have. Well, yeah, regulations, think, at least. Regulation, yeah, regulations should have an expiration date. That, we've that mentioned it. Yeah. After a certain amount of time, we need to kind of reassess to make sure that we still need to have them in place. Uh, and that's kind of what these disruptive companies are forcing us to take a look at, you know, in a way, it's just like, there's nothing wrong with questioning regulations and sure. pushing against them. Uh, and if then we decide that, you know what, Uber is not the way we want things to run, then then it goes away. And we're like, all right, you know, we asked. We really we really mean it. Though, <laughs> <laughs> right. so, I mean, the, the asking happens after the, the innovation. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't really make a case for it. And, and you know, I do know, I can think of one specific case of an entrepreneur who spent, like I know him pretty well, like he spent like a few years now trying to figure out how to make his business within the letter of the law. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you you spent like two years thinking about this stuff. Just do it. Like, right. It's, it's just so, like, and it's so hard to do something within the letter of some regulations. Just see if it's even, you know, your, your argument is even, if there's even a demand for it. Because if you do something and someone gets annoyed, then, Great, figure it out, <laughs> discuss it. If you do something and nobody gets annoyed, even though it's against the, against the regulations, then who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I still I don't know. I mean, I still have this concern that, and I, I mean to 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 I, I agree with you, right? And and I'm as I said, I mean, I'm supportive of these kinds of innovations that that sort of, you know, break down obsolete regulations. And I think there's, there's tremendous value in that. Yeah. Um, I, I still worry about it encouraging this, this viewpoint that then any regulation, you know, can or should just be, you know, ignored or trampled and, and kind of what reputation that not leads ignored, to. Not ignored, challenged. And, and <laughs> cha- fine, challenged, but, and, and whether or not that leads to backlash. And I think we're seeing some of that backlash already happening where then people are coming in and saying like, you know, Silicon Valley is just breaking stuff and, and that needs to stop. Mm. I, you know, Mike, you had also, you had said earlier you, the, uh, about the difference between Uber and what Zenefits did. Uh-huh. Um, what, what Uber did in, in kind of working around the taxi regulations um, really had to happen because Uber just didn't fit that model, right? Right. Um, what Zenefits did, it sounds like they did it just to speed up the process of making money. Yep. Right. Not because their business didn't fit the model with you know yep. where licensed agents had to sell insurance. Yeah. So, you know, that, and that's fair. I think that's that's actually a really good distinction, and I think that's that is a really clear one. And 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 why I think 
you know, there are, there are obviously people on both sides of, you know, of the issue for, for both of those companies. But why I think the majority of people think Uber is, you know, Uber's actions make sense, whereas Zenefit's, they feel a lot less comfortable with those. And I think right. it's, it's for exactly that reason and sort of the intent and purpose of the, of the um, routing around of, of regulations. Right. The other thing is, you know, uh, breaking the rules or pushing against regulations to to benefit. Um, I'm sorry, the regulations themselves. When the regulations benefit the end user, the yeah. customer, versus breaking the regulations just to benefit your company. And sometimes those things obviously overlap. But yeah. um, you know, if Silicon Valley is breaking stuff. Well, there are a lot of incumbents would be saying that, of course. Yeah. Um, and pushing that idea and uh, because it's encroaching on their business. But um, I, I don't know, does the general public have that feeling that Silicon Valley is just breaking stuff? Um, I mean, I've, it depends. You know, it depends on how much it impacts you. I mean, I've seen a lot of pushback lately on like Airbnb, for example, where it's, you know, impacting people where, you know, like their neighbors are. Yeah you know, renting out stuff. And then suddenly they, they have this sort of like, oh, you know, Silicon Valley is just ignoring regulations and being obnoxious and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't necessarily know how widely that's felt, but I, I do worry about it in terms of, of how it goes. But and obviously like the, the hotel uh, industry wants people to think that Airbnb yes. is screwing everything up for everybody. Right. Yes. So, and they will get some people to kind of, kind of go along with that idea. Yeah, a lot of people. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we I know we're sort of running out of time on this one. So do we do we have any final words or final thoughts on on this question of sort of disruption and breaking the breaking the rules? I mean, you know, breaking things is kind of <laughs> not necessarily a mantra here in Silicon Valley, but Sure. Um but I think I I don't think people I think there's like this impression outside of Silicon Valley that it is. Like I mean, move fast and break things. Move was fast like, and break things, right? Right. I mean, that is that, one of the sayings that you hear around here. Yeah. Um, and I think that I don't know. I I'm not afraid of that, and I'm not, and I don't think people should be afraid of it. And it's all done with the best of intentions. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it's not always right. I mean, that's that's the point, which is that yes, I I think it's true in mo in lots and lots of cases yeah. that it's done with the best of intentions. But I think that that. That provides cover for cases where it's not done with the best yeah. of intentions, and and that's no. And that's I say that, and I say that with you know tongue from tongue from sure, 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 um, sure. I mean, I'm I am very much you know if 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 people have listened to my viewpoints on this podcast, I'm pretty much on the idealistic, optimistic yes. side, maybe to the to the on the cusp of naivete, but you know, like <laughs> I I genuinely believe that people aren't out to, you know, just be bad, and sometimes breaking things with good intention, you know, is, is a way to kind of figure out a better solution and sure. not being hamstrung by existing rules and regulations, existing ways we, you know, the status quo um, is kind of the ethos of the Valley and the ethos of kind of startup culture. Yeah. Um, and I feel like to lose that would be sad. Mm. Um, I, well, yeah. Challenging, challenging the status quo and, and challenging, you know, regulation and whatever the rules are, that's, there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, but Mike, you were talking about how do we how do we give incentives to break the right rules? Yeah, and I think you know the fallout from uh, Theranos and and Zenefits and you know um, those the you know the negative uh, reaction to it 
that kind of helps provide the incentive to break the right rules. Um, yeah. It would, you know, people who are fooled into um, uh, backing an idea that really had no merit, or maybe had merit but was uh, based on a lie, um, will be more gun shy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is feedback. So. But I would, I, I guess, Maz, I guess your point of, you know, Theranos and Xenophits are kind of a creatures of this system, right? Where Xenophits mm-hmm. was probably set up with certain revenue goals and they're like, in order to meet them, right. we have to do these things. Theranos was set, was set with certain fundraising and business goals and they're like, all right, well, in order, in order to do these, we have to promise these things. I don't know. So yeah, that's, I think it's challenging to figure out how to set up the incentives in the right way such that people don't. I, I mean, there's always going to be some, way. you know, some scammers who get through, right? I mean, it's just right. sort of the nature of, of it. So, I, you know, I don't think you're going to get a, a perfect one. But I, but I do worry that, you know, if we attract too many people who are, are breaking the rules just because, you know, they have this sort of, yeah. well, hell, you know, we can break the rules. And so that gives us an opportunity to be scammy and, and fraudulent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a concern that I have that it will lead to less innovation because it'll scare, it'll create regulations or other ways. We're not all sociopaths. Yeah. And I I haven't really had the feeling that we're like wild west in that way yet. Yeah. You know, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's something I think is, is worth watching, but it's, it's an interesting discussion. I think it's one that we'll probably revisit. Um, Yeah you know, as, as different, different things happen in the world. Um, but, but it was a, a good conversation. Um, thanks. Uh, thanks for, for having it. Uh, thanks for listening for the folks who are listening. Uh, Dennis, thanks for joining us as always. Uh, Costanza, thanks for jumping in as our special guest host this week. And, uh, we will be back again next week with some Sounds other good. topic. All right. Bye guys. To grab a shovel and dig up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tap.